Hey, this is Aaron Brockett, lead pastor of Traders Point Church. Regardless of where you are tuning in around the world or if you call Indianapolis home, I just wanna thank you for tuning in to our weekly message podcast. Our prayer and desire is that God would take the content of these messages and use it to encourage you in your relationship with Jesus as you discover God's purpose for your life. Grab a Bible, get to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in Ephesians 1 today. And uh, we're, we're in a uh, kind of a one-week standalone message, all right? This is not a series that we're walking into. We're going to start a new series next weekend called Asking for a Friend. We're going to answer all kinds of questions that maybe you've had in your mind, but you've been too embarrassed to ask, so you ask them for a friend instead. So you don't want to miss next week and uh, this next teaching series that we roll into. But today we're in a standalone message called No More Fatherless. No more fatherless. And we're going to be in Ephesians 1. Shout out to all of our campuses tuning in with us. Uh, downtown, north, west, uh, here at Northwest. If you're watching online, our Wild Wild West campus out in Oregon that we heard about. Give it up, man. Let's put our hands together and welcome everybody that's in the house today. Awesome. My name is Petey. I'm happy to be here with you guys today. Uh, if, you, if you have been coming for a while or maybe you just want to know what your next step is, don't forget about Growth Track. Growth Track is the way for you to get connected and start growing. Growth Track happens after every service at every campus. Just go out to the lobby, look for the signs that say Growth Track, and you can jump right in. That'll help you get connected and start growing here. Enough with the introduction stuff. We got to jump in. Ephesians 1, we're going to start in verse 3. We're going to read five verses, five little verses, but it's a deep dive into the goodness of God. And y'all just got to see it. Y'all got to see how good God is. You ready for this? I don't think you are, but it's all right. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 3 through 7, it says that it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us, and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us in his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. And so we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. Unreal. By show of hands at every campus, how many grandparents we got in the house? How many grandparents are in the room? Grandparents represent. Church, can we give it up for our grandparents, all the grandparents that are with us, the sages of our faith? That's right. Hey, if, you, if you're here and you're a grandparent or you, you look around and you feel like you're one of the older people in the room, don't be discouraged by that. Man, be so encouraged by that. I, I love that we have a multi-generational church. And, and, and when you look around and see people that are younger than you, that's proof that the church is going to keep going and keep going. God has not given up. And, and, and generations after, you're going to love and worship Jesus. But also when you look around and see people that are younger than you, uh, know that that means that you're desperately needed. That the young people of our church need you and we need your experience. We need your wisdom. We need you uh, in, in so many ways. And so we're, we're glad to have you with us. But I know that grandparents serve one primary purpose in their role as a grandparent. I've been told this for a long time, that their primary role is to spoil grandkids, right? You buy them a bunch of stuff, you sugar them up, and you send them back home to mom and dad to deal with. I've heard that said. I didn't know if it was true or not until I had kids of my own. I've been a dad for seven years, and I found it is 100% true. 
My mom is the chief of all spoilers, okay? She is like the spoiler. Like Christmas at our house, when my mom and dad come in town, is bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. It is crazy. Like this past Christmas, they show up and like, they show up in their little Prius, and it's just like loaded. Like you can see presents just pouring out of the car. And they pull in, and this year it got so bad that my seven-year-old son, he's, he's, he's opening all of his gifts. And he's about midway through them, from the, his, his, his gifts from Nana and Papa. That's what they call my mom and dad, Nana and Papa. And, and, and in, in the middle of opening up all these gifts, my son looks up at his Nana and goes, Nana, you really bought us too much this year. I couldn't, I was dying laughing in the corner. I was just dying laughing. Like when your seven-year-old is calling you out, you know you're in too deep or you're in too deep. But now that feeling that Emmett had, my seven-year-old son, about the gifts that he had received from his Nana is very similar to the feeling that we should have when we read Ephesians 1, 3 through 7. That it's almost embarrassing how much God has given us. Now, I know it probably didn't hit you like that when we read it. Because we, we read it the same way that we, that we read most Bible verses. is We read as much as we can, as fast as we can. It's a bunch of spiritual mumbo-jumbo, words we never use. But you get as fast as you can through one chapter so you can stop and say, like, hey, I read a chapter of the Bible today. I'm doing good. <laughs> doing good. Come back, next, come back the next day. But that's not, that's not how the Bible's meant to be read. You've got to slow your roll and kind of take it verse by verse and really understand. Because in these five verses, God is just, like, lavishly pouring us, pouring gifts on us. He's lavishly loving us. It's insane. So let's just back up and go kind of gift by gift through this embarrassment of riches. Look at Ephesians 1.3. It says this. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We could stop right there and, and, and go home, and we, 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 right there we'd have more than we could ever need in this life. Now, I know, I know some of you are like, okay, I, I work with someone, or I got a family member, or a friend, or a neighbor who just posted a picture on their Instagram of their feet propped up in Cozumel, and it's like hashtag blessed, and you just want to like punch them. Like as soon as you saw it, like, I know I'm supposed to love you, but I don't love you. And like, we spend so much of our lives looking at things to compare to. Like so much of our lives thinking about things we don't have, things we wish we had more of. But this verse, I'm telling you, if you'll truly understand and grasp it, you have everything you could ever possibly need and more. You have every spiritual blessing that is available to you from all of heaven is given to you because of Jesus. You've got peace in a world that has all, I mean, like no peace, like a, a world that's, that's, that's ridden with anxiety. You've got peace that surpasses all understanding. You've got hope in a world that's hopeless. You've got joy in a world that's depressed. You've got purpose in a world where everybody hates their jobs. You've got everything you could possibly need and more, and that's not even counting what God has for you in the future. That's just what you got right now. God's word tells us that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind could comprehend, no heart could fully know what God has in store for those who love him. Your best days, it's a guarantee from God, are yet to come. Just in that verse alone, just what we just read, Ephesians 1-3, we could stop right there and we would have enough. But God's like, no, no, no. You got to keep going. Because right, I, got, I, got, I got more for you. I got, I got more presents out the Prius I'm about to bring in. Verse 4 says it like this. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes even before he made the world, that he was thinking of you in advance. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, we, we love to be thought of in advance, don't we? 
my, my wife and I just celebrated our 12-year wedding anniversary. We've been together for 16 total years. We dated for about four years. Hey, we, I appreciate that. That's awesome. I know some of you are like, wait a minute, y'all been together 16 years. Did you start dating when you're eight? And I'm from Kentucky, but not like that. All right, no, that's not true. That's not true. But like what we started doing with our anniversaries is we started taking turns as to who's going to plan the anniversary date. So like this year it was my turn to plan the anniversary date. And so it was so cool. I got to think of like ways in advance to show my wife how I love her, how thankful I am for her, how thankful I am for our marriage. But I'm not going to lie. I like it way better when she plans it. I like it way better when it's her year. Because <laughs> we all love to be thought of in advance. We all love when someone puts special effort into showing us just how much we are appreciated and loved. And let me tell you, God did not just think about you a couple weeks ago. God did not just think about you a couple months ago or a couple years ago. God didn't just wait till you had made a mess of your life and say, ooh, I think they're in a bad mood. I should probably go show them how much I love them. No, 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 no. Before he made the world, he had you on the brain. Before he, before he erected Mount Kilimanjaro, he was thinking about you. That was an afterthought for him. Before he turned on the faucet and filled up the bathtub of the Pacific Ocean, he was thinking about you and how much he loves you before he made the elephant, the giraffe, and the dopest animal ever, the great white shark, as an afterthought. He was like, ah, the great white shark's okay, but, but you, oh, man, I'm going to think about you in advance, and I'm going to choose to love you. And, oh, it's such a beautiful love. It's unconditional. It's premeditated. There's nothing you can do to take it away. I mean, this idea, y'all, this idea of a loving God, you know it's original to Christianity. You know, we, we, I, I think we take that for granted. Like in our culture today, we always hear like, God is love. And you hear from everybody like, God is love, which usually just means he'll never disagree with me. And everything is fine. And he's exactly who I picture him to be. God is love. Like, but our culture's abused it. But you know that idea originated with Christianity. I mean, go back and study ancient cultures. Nobody believed that the gods were loving. People believed the gods were vindictive. People believe that the gods were self-absorbed. And then Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, no, 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 there aren't gods. There's one God. And let me tell you about him. He thought about you before he even made the world. And he loves you. And God is love. God sees value and worth and dignity in every single person, no matter what you look like, where you came from, what you've done. He loves you, and there's nothing you can do to make him stop loving you. And right there, oh, man, if we just stop at verse 4, God, you've done too much. It's unbelievable. It, it's it's amazing. God's like, yeah, you actually got to keep going. I got a few more presents for you. You got to keep going. No, this is crazy, but I got, I got more for you. Because in verse 5, he takes it further. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. He doesn't just want to be your master. He doesn't just want to be your Lord. He doesn't just want you to just believe in him. He wants you to call him dad. He, he, he wants a dear relationship with you like, like, a, a, like a child, like a, like a dad to a daughter, a dad to a son. He, he wants to intimately know you. I love how J.I. Packer puts it. He says that, that, that uh, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. I'll take that all day. He didn't just leave you stranded. He didn't leave you without a family. No, he says, come on in, come on in. I've got a spiritual family for you, and I, and I actually want to be your heavenly father. I love how our downtown campus pastor, uh, uh, Ryan Bramlett, puts it. In a, in a sermon last summer, he said that right next to your freedom papers are your adoption papers. That God not only wants to set you free from the penalty of your sin and free from your old life so you can be free to live for him and free from the consequences of all that, free for all eternity. Not only does he want to free you, he wants to sign your adoption papers. He wants to be your heavenly father. 
He wants you to be an heir to the throne. Oh, it's amazing. And, but again, right there we could stop, but he, he keeps going because look at the next verse. It says, this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Are you kidding me? I do acts of sacrificial love for my family because I love them, but it does not bring me great pleasure. I mean, come on. I took the trash out in the middle of the polar vortex. It did not give me great pleasure. And I muttered many words under my breath as I was doing it. God gave up way more than that. Sacrificed way more than that. And he didn't do it begrudgingly. He did it with a smile on his face and brought joy to his heart. It gave him great pleasure to lay down everything for us. To sacrifice his one and only son. And as if that weren't enough, verses 6 and 7 wraps it up like this. says, So we praise God for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son. And he forgave our sins. He said, I'm going to give you my son Jesus. He's going to die on a cross for you so that you can be forgiven and free. And that phrase that Paul uses when he writes this, that he's so rich in kindness, he's so rich in grace. It's like, that's the understatement of all eternity. Rich in kindness, rich in grace, he's loaded with it. He's a gajillionaire. When it comes to grace and kindness. And so, yeah, of course we praise him. It says, so we praise God. Of course we praise him. Can you see how good he is? I mean, come on, right now. Forget who's around you. Forget the people looking at you. Forget. Take a moment with you and God right now and just tell him how thankful you are for his grace. Tell him how thankful you are for his goodness. No, I mean, it's seriously right now. Applause, clap. I'm talking like show him the kind of honor that he deserves. I'm talking like. I'm telling you, keep going. This ain't the State of the Union address. You don't need a cue to clap. You don't need to look around and see when everyone else is clapping. Just go. Thank you, Jesus. All right, now, for real, though, we can't let this go on, can't let this go on as long as the State of the Union goes on. We, got, we do have some things to get to today. Unbelievable. And he, he deserves that kind of response from us. That's not a, a showy, that's not a, hey, look at me, I'm so spiritual. His goodness deserves that kind of response from us. But now here's the deal. There is still a disconnect between what we just read, the goodness of God, there's still a disconnect between that and our hearts. You know there is. I can feel it. You know how I know there's a disconnect? Because whenever I, just a second ago, said, hey, take a moment and tell God exactly how thankful you are, get up and, and, and then I, I dropped the microphone and started clapping, I felt very, very awkward in that moment. And I know that you probably felt awkward too. I know you're probably like, oh, this is weird. There's a disconnect because let me tell you, if the Colts won the Super Bowl, I wouldn't have to tell you to get up and do a thing. There's a connection between Colts and the Super Bowl in your heart. There's a disconnect between the goodness of God in our hearts that prevents us from responding properly. And I believe that disconnect happens in one specific word that we actually read in this passage. It's just a little tiny word that gets in there that I think it's like a, like trips us up a little bit. It's like a little rock in our shoe. Like, wait a minute, huh, what? If you back up to verse five, it says it like this. It says that God decided in advance 
to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Adopt. God decided in advance to adopt us. I'm like, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up. Adopt? See, to be, for God to adopt you would mean that you need to be adopted. Which would mean that you have a problem. And I have a problem. And it's, it's, it's bad. And I know, like, your first glance, you're like, problem? I don't have a problem. Like, I don't have a problem. I'm good. You ever have someone tell you you got a problem and you're like, I disagree wholeheartedly with your assessment of, of that? Like, for instance, my wife recently cracked a joke in front of our friends about me. And this joke was illegitimate, unfounded, and completely false. And this joke... She, she had this joke that she said, apparently I don't know what a clothes hamper is. Apparently I don't know how to put my clothes in the hamper when I'm done wearing them. And I said, that is, like, you, right now you sit on a throne of lies, okay? This is not true. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Well, then the next day she sent me this text message. Go and throw that first one up there for me. She sent me a text message that says, not hamper. Now, <laughs> let me clarify for you a few things, Okay. This is my bedside table. That is our vacuum. Don't ask me why our vacuum is right there. We didn't text each other thinking it would be used in a sermon, okay? I'm sorry. It doesn't look like Pottery Barn. My bad. But you see a pair of jeans there and then some gym clothes down there at the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not hamper. Yeah, not hamper. Yeah, I get it. Not hamper. It's not the hamper. Then she sends me this next one. Let me introduce you to our hamper. Now back it up for a second. Back it up. Back it up. Back it up for because there's a I got a, I got a, I got an explanation for this though. Okay, because those clothes on the floor, those are my gym clothes that I had set out because I was gonna do a workout that morning and then I got lazy and I didn't, so I left them out because I was gonna do a workout later when the kids go to bed. So there's a reason behind that. And the jeans, I'd only worn them twice. Okay, you don't have to wash a pair of jeans after two wears. You can get at least three wears out of a wash. I'm trying to decrease the laundry load. I mean, come on, if I've got a problem, it's that I'm too considerate, far too considerate. Sorry for thinking about you, okay? Take my, take my hamper down, my not hamper. Problem? I don't have a problem. See, I mean, I, I just think so, so many times when it comes to God and his goodness, and we read a word like adopt, and we're like, whoa, 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 we've got a problem. And I think so many times we just kind of puff up our chest a little bit, like, man, I don't have a problem. And God says, I, I, actually, you do. And he, and, and he uses this word adopt very specifically here to get through to the severity of our problem. And, you know, not every kid that needs to be adopted goes through the kinds of circumstances we're about to talk about. But when a kid needs to be adopted, most oftentimes it's because they're in such desperate, dire circumstances that their current and their, their current reality and their future is at risk. I mean, like, if things don't change for them, they're in, they're in a bad spot and their future's not looking good. And so they, they need to be adopted. They need to be cared for. And I asked our, uh, our foster and adoption ministry director for some examples of, like, give, me, give us some examples of, like, what a lot of these kids that are going into the foster care system are dealing with. Give us, a lot, give, give us an example of, like, not, I mean, I, I'm not talking about kids in, like, a, a third world country, like, but here. Like, what, what, are, what are the situations that these kids who are fatherless, who need to be adopted, who need to be cared for, what are they going through? And, and, and I want to read you just a few of the examples she sent me. These are case studies that they use to train and prepare foster families and adoptive families for, 
what they might be experiencing. And, 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 and this is to show you how, God, how serious God sees our spiritual condition. The first one is about a girl named Sarah. She's 13 months old, little baby girl. She was severely neglected by her mother and is believed to have been physically abused. She was diagnosed as failure to thrive at two months old, but went home under protective supervision. She was again placed in foster care at 11 months when her mother was hospitalized for a heroin addiction. Sarah is very quiet most of the time. She does not coo or babble. She seems to prefer to be left alone. And when she does cry, she's very difficult to comfort. When placed in her crib, she will often rock herself to sleep. She bangs her head on the mattress. Sarah cannot stand even if supported. Her legs are not strong enough to bear her weight. Sarah does not look into people's eyes. She's 13, month old, 13, 13 months old. Does not look into people's eyes. She appears uninterested in her surroundings. She doesn't hold toys in her hands and she appears uninterested in playing. The next case study was from a set of twins, Larry and Jonathan. Larry and Jonathan are four-year-old twins. They were both severely abused by their stepfather. Larry has burn marks on his feet and on his legs that look like socks. He requires special medical care for these burns and he may need skin grafts in the future. He was dunked in a bathtub of scalding hot water. Jonathan is toilet trained during the day but still wears diapers at night. Larry is not toilet trained and at times will smear feces on himself and the surroundings. The four-year-old boys speak in two-word phrases. Larry withdraws from his surroundings and he prefers to play by himself. Jonathan likes to play with others, but he hits and bites other children, including his brother. Jonathan sleeps well, but he only eats hot dogs and crackers. Larry eats just about everything, but he gorges and throws up after meals. Larry also wakes up frequently, up to five times per night, and wanders the house. And every kid that needs to be foster adopted is not going through exactly those circumstances. Not all situations are equal. But you need to know these stories are not uncommon. That there are kids out there that are, that are vulnerable and they are suffering and they have no one to care for them. They have no one guiding them. They have no one helping them. Their circumstances are so dire. They're so desperate. And their future is at risk. And, 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 and no doubt, like, we hear those stories and we're like, oh, my gosh, this is awful. And, 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 and the, the crazy thing is this is not like, again, this is not third world country. This is not like even a far, like, this is our own backyard. This is here in Indiana. I mean, we're right in the, right in the midst of a crisis right now. 15,000 kids are currently in the foster care system. And there are not that many families to care for them. 15,000 kids in Indiana. And we've had an increase of 14% in the last year of the number of kids entering the system. Up 67% since 2012. Third worst crisis in the country right now. This is in our own backyard. And so, yeah, we hear stories like that. We hear about this crisis. And we're like, man, like we need to do everything we can to like lean into this problem. This is why we have a foster and adoption ministry. This is why we're, we're going to do something called Fam Night. You're going to hear about that at the end of service today. This is why we're praying for more families to step up and become foster families and, and, and adoptive families. This is why we're praying for more people to get involved in care communities. So, like, if you can't foster or adopt a kid, you can, you can be a part of a care community that, that supports the foster family. Because fostering's hard. And, and you need a support system. But even if you can't do that, man, just when you, when you give financially, like, we're trying to partner with people and, and support organizations that are caring for vulnerable children in our city and all around the world. We're trying to lean into it. We're trying to make a difference in this. Not just because we, we hear these stories and we feel compassion, but because God's word actually commands us to. I mean, just a few quick verses to help you see. I mean, we could, we, I could rattle off verse after verse, but just three ones to help you understand God's command for us to, to lean into this problem. 
Psalm 82 says, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Isaiah 117 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Exodus 22 says, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. See, God's word is clear about his commandment for the people of God to lean into this problem and to, to care for the fatherless. But why? Because, you know, that's not the only problem in the world. Why is God so uniquely concerned with the fatherless? And yes, it's because he's a God of justice and compassion and mercy and any suffering he hates to see. We're going to talk about that here in just a couple weeks. Any suffering he hates to see. But the fatherless, the vulnerable child, that problem is, is unique in the eyes of God. Because when he, God knows when the people of God get up close and personal to the physically fatherless, the vulnerable child, he knows it's going to put us at a front row seat of a visible, physical representation of our true spiritual condition. See, when you care for a vulnerable child, when you care for a kid who has no one, who has nothing, you are front row, front and center, seeing how God sees everyone's spiritual condition. You see, the goodness of God will not break through in your life. The goodness of God will not, will not connect to your heart. The goodness of God will not do what it's supposed to do in your life until you understand that the vulnerable child is actually you. The foster child is actually me. The, 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 the fatherless out there who has no one to guide them, no one to care for them, it's actually us apart from God. That how, how we see them and how, how much compassion we have for them, that's how God sees us. And until we can connect with that, the goodness of God will, will not, the, the, the goodness of God will fall on cold hearts and deaf ears. And, and I know, man, I know, because I, I feel the same thing. Like, just cut through the crap for a second. Most of the time, we don't feel desperate for God. You know we don't. I don't. I mean, come on, you talk about having a problem. I, I don't have a problem. Yeah, God is good. Yeah, Jesus is incredible. Yeah, I love all the stuff that he does for me. That's awesome. But, like, for most of us, we treat God like he's a, an add-on to our already pretty good lives. Like he's the next good life coach. He give you some peace and some wisdom. It's like a good Twitter follow, good Instagram follow. But, like, desperate for him. Most of, most of us don't live in a place of desperation for God. Needing to be adopted by God. And so, this past Wednesday, I, I was driving home from work. And I was praying through this, and I was like, God, what can I say that will break through? What can I say that will, will get through their hearts and help them understand their desperate need for you? God, what can I say to the person in the room who has actually said out loud that that's great for Christians if that's what they need, but I, don't, I just don't need that? What can I say to break through, God? And in that moment, God said, well, hold up for a second, Petey. What are you going to say to get this through to your heart, Petey? How are you going to take this message and apply it to, to you? Because you know that you're in that same spot. How are you going to get to a place where you realize that you are the spiritually fatherless without me? That you are desperate without me? How is this going to, going to break through so that you don't wake up feeling so confident? How is it going to break through so that you don't walk through your day feeling so independent and capable apart from me? Like, how are you going to get this through to your heart first and foremost, Petey? Fine. Back up, God. And so I start... I started praying through that, and God immediately drew my heart to my own kids. You know, I've got, 
I've got three kids. I, I love them to death. I've got a seven-year-old boy named Emmett. I've got a four-year-old son named Solomon and a two-year-old baby girl named Tatum. And I, I love them to death. I love them to death. And, um, I, consider, I consider being their dad one of the greatest privileges of my life. And, um, man, we're, we're doing everything we can to parent them in the best way possible to be there for them. Um, my wife and I are trying to take, you know, Psalm 127 to heart. It says that children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. You got to, like, pull them back and get them ready and then send them out because they can make a great difference in the world. You know, I, I'm convinced that the biggest difference that I will make with my life is not what I do, but what my kids do. And so, man, I'm just praying for them all the time. We're trying to read the Bible to them. We're trying to, try to t- take advantage of every teachable moment to show them grace and show them compassion, but also uh, show them discipline. We're trying to, like, do everything we can to be the best parents we possibly can be, and we screw up all the time, all the time. I mean, Wednesday when I had this conversation with God, I got home that night. It was like one of the worst nights of parenting all week long. All right, the kids are all crying by 7.30. I'm sitting there like looking at my watch like, God, in your infinite wisdom, can you speed time up and get them to sleep? So we're, we're right there with them. We're not perfect in this, but we're doing everything we can to, to guide them and to be the best mom and dad we can possibly be to them. And, and, and I started thinking through like personalizing this. Like, man, what if my own son, Emmett, my own son Solomon, my own daughter, saying, what if they were... The next day, what if they woke up and they were in the position of one of these vulnerable children? What if they were fatherless? What if they had nobody to care for them and watch out for them? And I just started thinking through my kids. I started thinking through my, my seven-year-old, and he's so tender and sweet, and, 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 but he's also a perfectionist, and he never wants to do anything unless he can nail it perfect. And I started thinking through myself, like, what would he do without someone to guide him, without someone to encourage him when he has no courage? Without someone to, to hold him and to hug him when he comes home from school and he's, his feelings have been hurt by a friend that betrayed him. Like, like, who would be there for him to tell him that you don't have to be perfect at everything? You can try stuff. You can, have, you can live your life. You don't have to be perfect. Like, who would be there to guide him, to correct him, to discipline him, to, to comfort him, to tell him it's going to be okay? And then I start thinking about the physical ailments. Like, what if my seven-year-old son didn't know if dinner was going to be on the table? What if my seven-year-old son went to school? And thought that very likely lunch could be his last meal of the day. And that's what I think about my four-year-old son, who's courageous and brave and fearless and rough. And, but so, so sweet. But I see him oftentimes kind of bottling up his emotions. And he, he doesn't like to show emotion in front of anybody. And then he just explodes. And I start thinking, like, God, who would be there? Who would be there to channel that courage and that bravery in the right direction? Who, who would be there to say that as a man, it's okay to cry? It's okay to show emotion? To, to, to show him what a true godly man looks like. Like who would be there for him to guide him and love him and, and protect him and, and, and to, to celebrate with him and to mourn with him. And I started thinking about like, man, if, if he were in the foster care system or he were a vulnerable child and he suffered abuse at the hands of anyone, but if he suffered abuse at the hands of someone who's supposed to protect him, and he doesn't even really know him. And, and I started thinking about my girl. I mean, my, my, my baby girl, and I, I love her so much, but I started thinking, like, what would it be like for her to not have anyone showing her what a godly man's supposed to look like? Without anyone to show her how a man should truly treat her and, and what it's like to be loved by a man, like, without anyone to show her what true beauty and true strength looks like. Like, what would it be like for her not have her mother or her father? And I started thinking, what would it be like for my baby girl to be left in her crib more than she's ever out of her crib, like so many kids who suffer neglect experience? 
And I just started personalizing it and personalizing it. And I, I just got this place of like ruined. Like I could never imagine my kids suffering that. I, I, can't, even, I can't even fathom it. Like it, it, would, it would break my heart. It would kill me to know that that ever happened to them. And in that moment, it was like God said right there, that emotion. That's an ounce of what God feels for all of humanity every day. Right there. That he sees us in our desperate state. We've got nobody, we've got nothing, we've got no, like who's going to be there to comfort us? I'm telling y'all, having an earthly father and an earthly mother is fantastic. I have, an, I have an incredible father. I have an incredible mother. I love them dearly. They have done so much for me. But there are things that they cannot give me that only my heavenly father can give me. There are things that, I mean, I can be as intentional with my kids as I want, but there are things that I cannot give my kids. I got to get them to their heavenly father. There are things that even as we care for these foster kids and these, these, these vulnerable children in our city, we are not their savior. We got to love them and, and, and help them and protect them. But ultimately, we got to get them to their heavenly father. Because the truth is, we all desperately need a heavenly father. Who is going to comfort you? When you're about to go to sleep at night and you've just went through the worst season of your life, and yes, you've got family and friends maybe that can comfort you, but who's going to be there in the still quiet moments when you are left with only your thoughts? Who's going to be there to comfort you, to guide you, to warn you, to correct you? Who's going to be there at your deathbed to assure your spirit that this is not the end? This is not the end. You and I, we desperately need a heavenly father. And oh my gosh, come on, let's get honest. We feel it. We know it. We can act like we don't have a problem. But come on, we all know that behind the strong and, and confident facade, there is a desperate, desperate need for a heavenly father who will lead us and comfort us through this life. I feel it all the time. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of the old hymn, Come Thou Fount. I love that old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. There's a lyric in it that I've always held on to. It says, prone to wander, not wonder, but wander, like walk away. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And oh man, I feel it every day. That without God as my heavenly father warning me and course correcting and encouraging me and lifting me up and, and, and calming me down. Without my heavenly father prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. You see, we need a heavenly father. And, and when you'll get to that place where you can embrace your vulnerable position and in humility embrace the fact that you are just like the physically fatherless of this world that they are the visible representation of what you are spiritually. Oh, then God steps in with Psalm 68 and he says this. He says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and he gives them joy. God wants to be your dad. God's desire is that there would be no more fatherless. Not just physically, but spiritually. He wants to be your dad. And that's the offer that's on the table for you today. In fact, right now at all of our campuses, would you stand to your feet with me? I wanna give you the opportunity to make that decision. You've got your freedom papers on the table. You've got your adoption papers on the table. It's an opportunity for you to be freed from the penalty of your sin, freed from your responsibility to your old ways of life and to live for Jesus for the rest of your days and the opportunity to sign those adoption papers and to be welcomed into the family of God, calling on him as your heavenly father. And you don't have to have it, ever, it, it all figured out. Your life doesn't have to be cleaned up. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You just gotta be in a place where you recognize that the vulnerable child is actually me, that their story is actually my story. And God says he will willingly and gladly 
save you and welcome you into the family and there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you did to deserve it. It's a free offer. And all you gotta do is accept it. So every head bowed, every eye closed at all of our campuses. There's a moment between you and God. There's a moment between you and your heavenly father. And if you're ready right now to make the most important decision of your life, to sign those spiritual adoption papers, to sign those freedom papers, and to walk with him all the days of your life, to accept his salvation, accept his grace. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three if you're ready to start following Jesus. One, two, three. You still got time, keep your heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're ready to make that decision, put your hand in the air to give your life to Jesus. If you've never made that decision before. Church, let's pray together. Father, there are new brothers and sisters that have just been welcomed into the family of God. And we celebrate that. But God, we know the celebration here pales in comparison to the celebration that's going on in heaven right now. That all of heaven celebrates and rejoices when one person comes home to you. So we celebrate, we join in that celebration. And God, we, we pray that the love that we're receiving right now, the goodness that we see in you, would motivate us to care for the physically fatherless all around us. That we'd be a church that takes action, rooted in your goodness. God, we love you. We declare that you are good. We sing it with confidence. We sing it from a place of gratitude. Oh, we love you, Jesus. And it's in your name the church prays together across all of our campuses. Amen, amen. Let's celebrate and worship God.